What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. I'm your host of today's show, Steve McCutcheon, along with my one co-host, Vito Anazelli. We have another great show for you guys. Before that, please take a moment, hit the bell, and subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Also, give us a follow on Twitter at the SLStreamers underscore pod. It's also where we are the most prevalent, and we'll answer all your questions. Um, let's just kick it off right from news and notes, man. We have something crazy that's going on, possibly going on to happen right now. So if you guys haven't heard, there's a, a bunch of reports recently, probably within the last month or so, that Ecuador forged some documents uh, for one of their players, Byron Castillo. Castillo. So according to TV Azteca, again, this is not confirmed by any means, but according to them, Ecuador is going to be kicked out of the World Cup and replaced by Chile because they falsified documents for the players named. Uh, and it seems to be birth certificate. So basically, if he was born there, he's good. If not, Ecuador out of the World Cup at this point, which is a gnarly thing to imagine. The last team to be kicked out, obviously, was Russia for the uh, Ukraine invasion. Uh, before then, I, I couldn't really find any more details on maybe what, what was possible in the last team before that, but... Dude, what do you, I don't even know how to describe, how do you take that? How do you describe that? Yeah, it's just like, I mean, rightly so. If this comes out to be true, I mean, basically Ecuador's entire hopes are, are hinging on a birth certificate at this stage. Um, but rightly so, you know, if that's the case, then it, it would deem for qualification, disqualification. I believe it's what, Chile that will get in, right? That's what, so yeah, that's, that's what we're, we've been at least again told. Yeah. Nothing's confirmed. I can't remember the last time any team's been disqualified from the World Cup. We potentially have two this time around. Um, Not this late. Like, like they're literally like, qualified. Yeah, yeah it's like, maybe, a maybe like early, early, like a year after the World Cup, and they're just doing the beginning qualifications, like that shit. Like maybe, but yeah, I, I, I mean, mean, sorry, God, I'm excited that I'm excited that they got caught. Like, if if it is true, like, imagine how far, like, once you don't get caught this first time. What's stopping you from doing something similar again and again and again and just keep going further and further and further along with like getting. I'm trying to think of the right word, but like just doing wrong. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's it definitely it's a slippery slope and FIFA should be looking into this and scrutinizing it pretty heavily. Um, I think when it first came out, we were all just kind of speculating on like, all right, was this just a, a mad dash or mad scramble at the end to try to give themselves a chance of, of getting into the World Cup? And they, they picked a week yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the story is obviously not going away. It's continuously uh, being reported on. So there's somehow there has to be some level of validity to it. Um I mean, what happens if it comes back and it was just like an, an error? You know what I mean? Is that technically disqualified? So no, no, it's, it's still good, but we made a mistake. You know, so there's a lot. Of, there's a lot at play. But what's what's curious is you don't really hear about anything coming out by FIFA or uh, Cotton Bowl or, or whatever. You know, saying hey, we're looking into this. It's, it's kind of just like mass speculation from other news outlets right now at this moment in time. That's so, what it feels like. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a little all up in the air, but. Um, if FIFA's pretty strict with their international rules, I'll, I'll give yeah. them that. Like, if there's one thing they actually crack down on, it's like player citizenship and who they can play for, the one time switch rule, like all that kind of stuff. Like, they actually, if they're going to, they, one of the few things they enforce, that is one of them. Yeah, no, definitely. So, I mean, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely think, nuts. Like, like, everything's set already. Like, what, like, do they read, like, you can't redraw, right? You just, I guess, re- literally just replace because it's the same, same. Yeah, you, you can't. The qualifying's done. That's it. That's that like that's yeah. the end of it. You have to just draw a line in the sand. My only question to you is then at that point, like let's say this does come out and it's true, is elimination from the World Cup too harsh or right on right on par for that? That what you'd expect. That's right on par. It's an illegal player. Right. Yeah. There's no other there's no other option. Like I don't see how you can spit listen, it. <laughs> I, 
I yeah, well that too. Like I don't have his goals and assists in front of us. I didn't watch any of Ecuador's qualification games, so I can't tell you how they played with or without him in the lineup, right? Regardless, if he stepped onto the field and is a legal player, what other action is there? The next international like thing is the World Cup, rather than just a couple of lead, lead up friendlies. You ha- like you can't just suspend them from just the friendlies. And be like, oh, you're good for the cup though. Like you cheated, but you're in. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, he, I, memory serves. He wasn't like a, a fringe player. Like he he played a, a good amount of games, you know. So at that point, you have no choice. I was curious whether or not they were going to go like the route of uh, the, now the team with the highest, you know, coefficient ranking that didn't qualify is going to get in. But I feel like that would have been completely unfair. It has to be someone from that, from that, uh, from that league. You yeah, know, it's either it's either next team in from that continent or that that qualification zone, or like you do a playoff with the next two. Like I, th- I think Colombia was even the next one, like Chile and Colombia, like back to back or no? Yeah, I, I, I don't remember the names over there. Exactly. Something that effect. So that's the only that's the only way I I, I could see that really going down, but. Listen, this is something we're definitely going to cover in the future, and hopefully new, more news starts breaking on it. Because I mean, there's only four or five five months till the World Cup. We have we have to kind of hurry this one up a little bit. Plans got to be made. Yep. So just just as like a a little more background information there. Technically speaking, it's not a disqualification for Ecuador, but any game where he stepped on the field would be deemed a three zero forfeit, which means they would drop fourteen points overall, uh, dropping out. It has to put them out of it. Yep. Um, Chile with two extra wins from those matches would jump into fourth qualifying in Ecuador's place. So it's not necessarily a straight swap. It's they would just restructure all of their Based matches. What the all wins. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then you have, yeah, you have to do all the points for the, all the other games. Okay. Yep. I gotcha. I gotcha. So it's two losses help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Heading over to a, uh, a different qualification area. The UEFA nations league was back this past week. Had some big upsets, man. Um, this one, I mean, it's more the scoreline than anything else. 4-1 Netherlands over Belgium. Obviously, Belgium being one of the best teams in the world. Probably, like, the last year uh, for international football that they have of their golden generation that we've all seen, like, kind of grow up. So, 4-1 loss for them. They did right the ship. I think they dropped a 6-0 win over Poland uh, more recently in the last couple of days. So, good for them to kind of be back. But, interesting scoreline there. Austria 3-0 over Croatia. Yeah, last year, last, last year's last World Cup's runner runners up. Yep. And uh, Denmark two one over France, last World Cup winners, and then Hungary one nil winners over England. All right, that's this one I kind of want to cover a little bit more in depth right here. Obviously, being the United States in the same group as England coming up, clearly beatable. Definitely. Definitely. From I, yeah, I perspective, the group's wide open, man. It, it is no wide open to an extent. I don't know if Iran is going to be in that conversation, but in terms of that second spot, yeah, it's, it's totally wide open. I still think England are going to pull through and, and nab that top spot without a problem. But, they're, I mean, yeah, they're, they're beatable. I mean, they played a good game against Italy in the UEFA, um, the Euros final, right? But they're, they're definitely a team that, that has flaws and has gaps. I mean, it's historically speaking, when you talk about bottlers, you think of clubs like Tottenham, and when you think about internationally, you think about it like England not living up to the potential historically. Um it's definitely a concern. Home. Harry Maguire started, so I mean, I don't know how much how much we really want to put into this result. You know what I mean? But um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a fluke. I think part of the reason for that scoreline was the formation they set up, and I don't know what Southgate was thinking um, going with a three-back system there. I, I guess I understand it to an extent um, with Showell just coming off of injuries and Reese James having his own injury woes. 
but I think of full strength England going into December, I think this is just a blip on the radar at this, at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, it's completely far out. I just like, I like looking at it as the fact that we shouldn't go into that game feeling inferior. Agreed. Agreed. Like I can... straight up, like that's a winnable game. Are they good? Absolutely. I mean, they <laughs> they might be one of the few few countries in the world that have more more depth at right back than us. They have Reese James, Kyle Walker, Trippier, and Trent Trent Alexander. That's like that's, that's ridiculous. That is that's absurd. <laughs> that is a ridiculous problem to have. Like you're yeah. the fourth best. Like look at Trippier. I'm, I mean, I'm I don't want to be picking on him saying he's the fourth best because he I think he started most of the last World Cup for them. Um, but the other names on that sheet, like dude, maybe they might, might not even meet the squad. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a match where even, like, Jaden Sancho didn't play. Grealish came on in the 67th. Bakaya Saka, you know what I mean? Raheem Sterling wasn't in. Ward Prowse. I mean, the names on that team sheet are just so absurd in the, in the level did you, of body. Um, did you see Southgate's uh, uh, talking points on Grealish saying how he's – I don't want to say he's not good enough, the exact, like the exact wording of it was, but uh, basically saying he still has a lot more to work on even at Man City. I didn't see it, but I don't necessarily disagree with him. I mean, when you're talking about players like Raheem Sterling – or Mason Mount or Jaden Sancho, who would start potentially in front of them. I'm not surprised to hear that. Obviously, he's an unbelievable talent, but there's a reason he's not getting into a Pep Guardiola side after spending a hundred million pounds on him. And it, I think it's starting to show. That is typical, though, of a Pep of a Pep transfer like that. A big name guy, like they, their first year in there, they typically he does not throw them to the wolves. He like gradually fills them into the squad, figures out what he can do, and like place like kind of takes his time to figure out where to place them. Um, so I wasn't shocked about about Grealish's season last year by any means. Um, would have liked to have seen more from him, obviously, absolutely, but it felt mostly right on par for what Pep usually does. Let me ask you something: Would you be surprised, or what level of surprise would you be if, come December, Jack Grealish isn't in the team sheet for England at the World Cup, given the the amount of tacking options that England has on the wing? Are you talking about just not even being called into the roster, or yeah? No, nah, I don't see that happening. I see you don't that. think I so? Think kind of, I think he's relatively a lock. Um, barring injury, of course. And then, I don't know. We've seen weird things, right? Land Dominant didn't make it for the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Wondolowski, baby. That's a, oh, God. That's a, that's a hell of a decision. That's a heartbreak to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of U.S., though, let's move on to Stars and Sharps real quick. First off, man, we got the biggest talking point of them all, possibly. Pool sick one frosted tips. Pulisic went blonde. Let's hope he it turns on a scoring touch for him because he needs it in front of net recently. Yeah, it's trying to channel his inner Ronaldo. Ah, dude, I don't <laughs> know how I feel about it. Like, can your captain, can like, can your guy, like, can your main person have frosted tips and you guys still be feared? I don't think it's possible. <laughs> yeah, dude, he scores, he scores 10 goals in the next 10 games. He, I don't give a shit what he does. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a signal, though? Is this a signal to Chelsea? New hair, new me, I'm out. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I just found it funny that when I logged online to look at like a bunch of like transfer news and just my, my daily like dose, you know, the first thing I found when I was looking up Premier League was Christian Pulisic at the top. Christian Pulisic goes blonde. I was like, wow, it must have been a slow week. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm going to buy off now. Yeah. Obviously, you said you're joking with the guy. It, was, it has nothing to do with his talent, but I don't know. It just seemed like a like an odd one. Teammates were hyped him up on Instagram, though. They were, yeah. Uh, Wayo was like, "Bro, I've been telling you." I'm like, "Come on now." Love the camaraderie. Love the camaraderie. 
this is dude honestly i i love that about this team this is the most together i feel like a, a u.s team has been like on the field and off the field like these guys i don't know if it's just the social media age being a little different and like i feel like our an old the older generation had a much more this one's just as competitive but a much more like it's my spot not yours like i don't really care like it wasn't all there whereas these guys are like they're like they're best friends like off the field but they, they're still giving 130 percent like to take each other's spot at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that we're talking about a group of players who came up to the youth, the youth system together, you know, I mean, we'll touch on Haji mm-hmm. in a little bit, but I mean, Christian Pulisic giving up his penalty to him and talking about it after the game saying we, we go incredibly way back. Like I wanted to have that moment. Like that speaks volumes for Pulisic as a captain. And also to your point, the level, the level of camaraderie amongst this team is just something different than, than anything we've ever seen because these guys are young and they're just out in Europe for the first time, really breaking through the system. So I imagine they're in constant contact with one another um, as they all try to adapt to a new continent. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's great to see. I think no matter how talented your team is, no matter how much talent is on that field at one point in time, there's nothing that can take the place of of the feeling of unity amongst those players and understanding each other from such a young age. Um, and I think that's it's great. almost impossible to build a locker room like that as a, as a manager, like that has to yeah. come from the players and, and like your leaders in the locker room, like that has to come Definitely. from the top down. Like it, the manager can bring it up to a certain point, but like going above and beyond that line, it's all, it's all in those guys in the locker room. Yeah. And I think it works at even not like we're, you know, the U S national team obviously isn't the best national team in the world. We're all, we'll be the first to admit that, but take a look at some of the best clubs in the world. Look at Liverpool, what Jurgen Klopp brings to that level of unity to that team and how they all fight for each other at every given moment. Like it's just a stark contrast to where Manchester city is, you know, in, in terms of more individualistic players, not saying they don't have a level of unity, of course, but it's, it's different than what you're going to get with what you see with this national team for you at the U S and teams like, like Liverpool and even down to Bayern. That's why Liverpool are consistently pushing the tempo in Europe because in tournaments like that and competitions like that, that level of, of unity is, is just outweighs just like an extra level, an extra step ahead of some of the other competition at those points in time. I feel you. I feel you. Um, speaking of Haji, though, you kind of mentioned before, we do have one of the questions from uh, one of our followers on Twitter. His name is Brett. He's also been on the podcast before as a Burnley supporter. Um, definitely want to go check out that episode. It's a good one. RIP to Burnley as well. We do apologize to you, Brett. Sorry about that. Rough season. Um, his main thing was Haji Wright. Why did it take so long for him to burst onto the broader United States men's national team radar? Because um, obviously as a youth player, for anyone unaware, he killed it. For, I want to say the U-17s, U-18, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, had an unbelievable goal scoring record. Went to Germany and then kind of fell off, right? Yeah, no, definitely he fell off. You know, he signed with Schalke back in 2017 after playing with the Cos- New York Cosmos at the time. And, you know, at 24 years old, 2017, you know, he, he, kids like 18, 19 years old top. So he probably wasn't going to break into a squad at that age coming right off, uh, right out of the United States into Europe. But he really didn't, you know, really didn't have a great season. Like he got promoted to the, to the first team in that same year, 2017, after notching 14 goals and 22 appearance, appearances. And it really, really looked like the sky was the limit for this guy. Um, but between 27 and 2020, that included a transfer to was the Netherlands and two then, yeah, two transfers. A, a first, a first alone, um, and then a transfer, and it just never really got together for him. I mean, in those three years, he notched, I think it was what Steve like two, two, two goals. goals. Yeah, in those three years, so obviously it just it just fell down, um, and. It, I mean, at that stage, I don't care how good he was 
in 2020 when he, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his team's name. So Danish football, Sandra Shai, I, I don't know. Not doing 11 goals <laughs> and 29 appearances, but even so, even if you come back with a strong, a strong record like that, you're not going to find yourself back in the first team at any of these big clubs, and especially the national team when you've had three years of just no performance, essentially. So I think he's finally starting to find his feet beneath him and starting to put together, you know, a track record of performance, um, which is why he's now getting these looks in. So I, I think it's just a matter of him taking time now at 24, being mature, getting a little stronger, that we're finally able to see the Haji right that we saw at the youth level. Yeah, dude, he looks like a, like, I don't say, be weird about this, but he looks like pretty much like a physical specimen now. Like, he reminds, his yeah. body shape reminds me a ton, like, out the door. And he is much better technically on the ball. He comes back, he plays a little bit more of a false nine role, but then also takes the runs all the way to the, uh, to the box, too. And so, he'll lay it off the pool stick. It almost, it, honestly, the guy reminds me a lot of pool stick and Drew it, and uh, during Project Restart. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's a big guy, but even regardless of his size, Watching him the last couple of games, he's made a lot of really intelligent runs off the ball in this space to kind of free up some from room for the number 10 coming through. I think Pulisic tried to feed him once or twice. He had a couple of good looks. Um, so he definitely seems like the real deal. I mean, I'm under the impression at this point, given what we've seen from Ferreira, who we'll touch upon later, and and Josh Sargent, and now the, you know, the slump with Ricardo Pepe, that if you're if you're Greg looking at Haji and, and his abilities at his club level and what he's bringing to this team in a different look, you got to consider him as potentially top one and two choices at this this point. If the World Cup was to start tomorrow, do you what do you think otherwise? He's my since we're grain of salt. We haven't seen enough of him yet, without yeah. a doubt. I liked, I really liked what I saw even in a short time in the Morocco game, the um, Uruguay game. He did not have enough time. I really fall Greg for that, and he should get the start no matter what for the next two games, in my opinion. But regardless. Um, I like him a lot. I think he fits our system so far the best, especially off the ball. And I hope Greg kind of sees that too, but we know Greg. So yeah. Um, last bit of news right before we kind of get into all the games and the recaps for the United States. Um, big stuff for Ethan Horvath here. Bryce Samba tells not enforced. He will not renew his contract and wants to leave this summer, even though he has a year left on his deal. Horvath started when he was out injured. Did really well. Do you think they trust him enough at the Premier League level? And what would that do? Because Greg, Greg's been very adamant about this already. Ne guys needing game time leading up to the World Cup. That he's even thrown Sean Johnson in the last game and played very well against Uruguay because he wasn't sure if uh, if Stefan, Turner, and Horath were all going to be bench players. So you think he can make it the Premier League level if if they if they go with him? See, that all depends on the fact of if, what we're talking right now. Like, are they going to go with him? And my gut reaction is probably not. With 12 months left in his contract, you have to assume Nuke, uh, Nottingham Forest right now is thinking, how much are we really going to get for this guy at this point? Is it more important just to play him, let him leave on a free, and, guarantee, and see if we can give ourselves a chance to remain in? in the Premier League because that that the money that they'll get from that will offset any type of transfer cost, which is at this point probably going to be extremely low. Um, so I don't know that necessarily if he's going to be allowed to leave, but we'll see. Um, and if, if they do let him go, I can't imagine they don't bring in another, not necessarily first choice goalkeeper, but someone to at least give Horvath some, some competition. I think Horvath essentially would get the nod given the fact that he has performed for them in the past and they, they know what he's about, but it's the Premier League, man. Like 
these are the best players in the world. If if he can make it here, you can make it anywhere. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like New York City. I just don't know if he's going to get that opportunity. I would obviously love to see him get that opportunity because if he's performed great for us when he has had those opportunities, but I don't see it. I don't see him becoming the first choice goalkeeper at Nottingham Forest at the beginning of their first Premier League season since what, 92? Been a minute, but definitely a minute. Um, so yeah, he played seven games for him in that, that short stint during Samba's injury. He had three clean sheets. I think he had one two three four four wins a draw two draws and a loss the only loss came against liverpool in the fa cup and that was only one nothing yeah i think Reasonable. he actually on his head that day so listen he like he came on against the in the the mexico game the champion uh the concap nations league oh, yeah. and he a penalty in like what the 115th minute or whatever the hell it was it really laid on he i feel bad for the guy honestly yeah because i he doesn't do anything wrong. He doesn't get the same opportunity as a lot of other players. Yeah. At club and the country level. Uh, is, is it a fact? Does he, does he not train well, but then just ha- somehow I don't know. comes up for the games? You know what I mean? Like, what is happening at this stage? It's weird, right? Like, he, like has he really put a foot wrong for the U.S. in a long time? Like, I, I don't think so. He's a great – but No, he's done great. He's done fantastic. He's called upon. Yeah, it's, it's so strange. Like, Grant, listen, USA has real depth at the goalkeeper position right now. Right, I just yeah. named the three guys: Turner, Stefan, and and Horvath himself. Johnson's been around the the program for God knows 11, 12 years at this point. And then now you have one of the, apparently one of the best young keepers in the world coming through through the ranks, Solina. So he's going to surpass like Horvath. I, I I even threw out a roster that had him over Horvath as the third keeper anyway. So you might as well get the experience for him at this point. If Horvath's not going to be in the picture long term, yeah. so it's, it's tough for him. I feel bad, but I I dude, I'd love to see him start. It would just it would it would make it would make selections for Greg so much more interesting because if Turner and Stefan both stay, don't get playing time, and then you see Horvath, I don't want to say killing it, but just doing rather well at the Premier League level or even just average, you know, above average, whatever you want to call it. Pose you a question there. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And um, it, it's such it's an interesting thought because, you know, when we talk about the, the Uruguay game, I was going to bring it up, but it's probably more relevant now. These guys got to be playing. I mean, you, you can bring an outfield player in cold. Um, and, you know, they, they might be able to do it. I mean, get run around, kick the ball around for a little bit. But goalkeepers need to be playing week in, week out to maintain that form. They have to be. And with Matt Turner's move to Arsenal, not going to get playing time. Let's be honest with ourselves. No, Zach Stefan at Manchester City's not going to get playing time. And you come into the December now talking about, like, well, they're training at least, and the MLS is not in session. But now you have a guy like Horvath who might be starting in the Premier League. Does that now be like, – how vital is that? in your selections when you have only one guy out of the four that we just named playing, not just training, playing week in, week out. And that's where Horvath now finds himself as potentially becoming the first choice number one, because I hate to say it. I don't care how good Turner has been. I don't care how good Stefan is overall. If, if Horvath is having a decent start to the season and is playing consistently and looks good between the posts, doesn't be perfect. Obviously that's the guy you want starting the world cup. The guy that's been playing week in, week out. And I don't – I think if I'm Turner and I'm Stefan right now, I'm worried about that. As it should be. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Stefan goes out on loan. I doubt Turner does just because he's just joining a new club and he, and he went back on loan already to, already to um, uh, the Revolution. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I, there's no, really, no other really word to put there. Um, I'm excited to see what it is. There's so many questions to our roster in general right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all up in the air. And unfortunately for us – 
the like all of our real big selection headaches, not just in terms of having depth, but like not knowing who sh- who's the best player at each position. It's unfortunately in our two most crucial positions, our number nine and our number <laughs> one. And that's that's kind of what's worrying at this point in time for me. Um, and this was this throw center help. back in there, too. Yeah, yeah, throw center back in there. <laughs> Moving on, though, kind of away from the players, there are the, the two games that we did play recently that I really want to kind of cover. Um, first off, the Morocco game, 3-0 victory, and then the Uruguay game, 0-0 uh, draw. Morocco was probably, I mean, obviously my favorite game, but it was also one of my favorites to watch. It felt like the most, com- one of the more complete performances we've put in and better than almost every game I thought I saw in qualifying. Yeah, no, I, you agree? You agree? I would generally agree with that. And it was really interesting because it was definitely a much more open and even game for the most part. It just, it just yeah, had Morocco had their chances. Wow. Like we weren't studs on defense by any means, I'm going to say, but. Oh yeah. The, attacking wise. What's up? A couple of shots from Morocco at 22 compared to our 11. Yeah. I mean, listen, a lot, a decent amount were also from pretty far out. If I remember correctly, they were, they weren't amazing looks, but. From attacking perspective, I didn't expect to do that to them. No, I, I agree. I was a little shocked by the scoreline. Granted, I think Aaron's first goal probably could have been saved. Um, but what stood out to me too was ninety percent passing accuracy throughout the game. Really, uh, that's 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 a really really strong number, um, especially given the tempo of that game and, and how the U.S. likes to play. I was really happy to see that go on because. Historically, especially through qualifying, I don't know about you, but I felt like a lot of the touches the United States national team has had have been sloppy, and it's it's been taking a lot out of the movement forward and breaking a, and you know trying to break a press because they're not controlling the ball properly. So it felt yes. a lot better to see that in that game. I no, I one hundred percent completely agree with you on that point. If a lot, of, like I said, a lot of the time our attack felt so disjointed so many times, and I, I, it was hard to kind of pinpoint where it was coming from. If it was yeah. the number nine, if it was the wingers, it was the midfield not controlling the sloppy touches, the giveaways and all that kind of stuff, that game just felt like what we as fans wanted to see for the, for the other 14 or how many, how many played did we go in qualification? I don't remember at this point. Qualification was like, is it 14? 14 games. It was, right? Yeah. Seven home, seven away, I think. I don't remember. Yeah, something like I'm that. a big fan. What can I say? Um, it, it, it just, it, it looked nice on the eye. It was relaxing to watch. <laughs> I wasn't at the edge of my seat. Like, wow, we suck today. Like, what the hell is going Like, what's going on? Like, it was like, oh, this is, this is how we should be playing. And Morocco's not a bad team. Listen, they're a World Cup qualifier. Not at all. Like, to put in that kind of performance, I'm, I'm pretty ecstatic. And it was mostly their first team players. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if you were going to touch upon the selections too, but watching Brendan Aronson slot into the left side of that midfield instead of, I was going to get to that. It was, yeah. was, was fantastic to see because, that overlap between him and Pulisic at times was was devastating. Having two tricky players on one side and, and having the threat from Wea on the other, it was just beautiful to watch. But yeah, it was it was it felt good watching that game compared to a lot of other games we saw during qualifying in certain three round windows. You know, yes, yes what they need to be bringing, like even regardless of the fact, like I said, they have Morocco had double the amount of shots, right, and the possession was relatively close for the most part. That's 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 what you need to see from this U.S. team going into the world cup that though that performance right there is what you want yeah and there was quite a few moments like there's one that was circulating twitter for quite a while it's like almost like a 20 plus pass performance uh breaking the back line out like from from our back line all the way through all the way through uh, the morocco defense didn't end up in a goal or anything but 
it just looks so pretty on the eye. And there was multiple times like that where we played out of the back on them perfectly. And I was very, yeah. very, very like ecstatic with it. That's what we like. That's what Greg's been trying to implement for what three, four years now at this point. So, yeah. What do you think of Aaron Long? Uh, um, I mean, not, not, a, not, not a great game, not, not terrible. Yes. Not enough to start the second one, in my opinion. I thought Cameron Carter or, or Palmer Brown should have gotten the start in the second game. I didn't, he didn't stand out. Like, he wasn't Zimmerman level. And I'm not no. saying Zimmerman's the best center back in the world. If it was my opinion, our two starting center backs, when both healthy, would be Brooks and Richards. Yes. But I'm not the coach. I don't have beef with Brooks. Not sure what's up. But I, I find it hard to believe us going very far in the World Cup with two MLS caliber center backs. Not saying they're bad. I agree. We have guys playing against Mbappe and Aaron Palmer Brown. Oh, my God. Sorry. Cameron Carter Vickers. That. <laughs> what's up? I don't even want to think about that. But well, what I'm saying is he's already playing against him in the French League. So he, there's good competition. Cameron Carter-Vickers, player, uh, team of the season for the, uh, the Scottish Premier League. Aaron Long, coming off an injury, has been out of the picture for quite a while. Zimmerman, play, 100% has played into the starting spot over qualifying. And I'm not I'm not knocking him one bit. He deserves to be in that spot considering what's – he's been one of the most consistent players we've had. Granted, his passing was the greatest. Not you know, it, It's 50-50. He played an amazing long ball to Pulisic the other day. Agreed. On a dime. Great, I mean, listen – to take a touch and fit in. What's up? That was in the Morocco game. It was, yeah. A, a phenomenal ball over top. And he can do things like that. Do I think Brooks does it way better and more and more often? Yes. Yeah. I mean, nothing, but, nothing against Aaron Long, but I mean, he, he didn't have a single tackle one during that game. He, I mean, he had a block and he had like six clearances, but it just, I think he's a good backup to have. During time. Yes, I'm, I'm not knocking him. Like if he came to, if he's on the roster, I'm not knocking it. I, yeah, he just doesn't. He hasn't done enough to start for me, or at least secure the spot. Like I feel, Greg has him in already. Yes, My, losing. Like, I, I, I just truly well. think, I truly think the other two guys should be getting more of a look. That that that's the only knock I have on that. I'm yeah. not saying Long is bad. I'm not saying he is the best either. Like it's just we have a question mark at that position. To to not be testing the other guys as well, in my opinion, stupid. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, no, I agree. I just, like, you throw these guys in there for 45 minutes at a clip, like it, it's a little tough to get it like into the game after halftime for a little bit. You're gonna be a little nervous too, like knowing, holy shit, I have 45 minutes. If I don't, if I don't do well, like my World Cup dream's over. Yeah, you don't think that's playing a little bit of part in these guys' performance at the same time? They've been out, of the, they've been out of the squad. They don't have chemistry with some of these players. So, give just give them a chance. That's 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 the only knock I have on that. Long didn't do bad. He didn't do great. Yeah. I'll I'll leave it at that. Brooke should be the starter. Okay. <laughs> Um, Uruguay game, interesting game. It ended nil nil. We had chances. They had chances. Our biggest missed chance, the Ferrara cross from Yedlin. People were saying it was a very tough header to get to. I thought he just went, he made his run too early. So that that's on him. And he hits it with like his shoulder still should have headed that in, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, I mean, the ball was definitely whipped in from Yedlin on the right-hand side. First of all, great play and great overlap for him to take it up there because I think initially that that ball that was on, it was looking through the middle. But um, the overlap opened up for Yedlin, and that cross was hit hard. But, it, yes, I don't care. That's how it has to be. It has to be put away, period. I'm sorry. Like, the ball was head high, 
Was it slightly behind him? Yes, but you're too young. Also, he also jumped weird with it too. He almost didn't have to jump with the ball, and he did because he caught it like with the sh- like in between his shoulder and chest, like in this. You can't see me if you're not on video and you're just listening, but like in between like this area right here, between and neck, shoulder, and yes, we'll go. If he doesn't jump, he probably he honestly probably just clean clean heads it in. Yeah. But regardless, like so, I'm gonna put down a Ferrara to not like to not judge it the right way. Now, did he have a lot of time to do that? No, that ball was whipped in. Agreed. If you look back at it, it looked like he was almost offsides at the same time. Yeah. Just not called. We didn't have VAR for it. So we praise him on his runs a lot of the time. It gets in the right position. That's great. PFO can do that. Yeah. Haji can probably do that. Sergeant can probably do that. We need a guy with a different finishing ability. That's 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 my knock on him. Listen, he's in great form for the MLS right now. Phenomenal form. Probably one of the best strikers there right now. We... Our biggest thing from our number nine is the scoring aspect, right? We, we aren't relying on them to do too much of the buildup consistently right now, which I, which I think is also wrong in a 4-3-3 formation. I feel like they should be dropping a little deeper um, to connect with the play. But it, your job is there to score. Yeah. If you're not doing it, we got to find another guy. And that's – we've been through the rotation. We just named a bunch of guys. Like, yeah, He's I, another one. Same thing as Long. He hasn't – Although he's he's kind of you know messed up a few more times in front of net, but <laughs> he feels like Greg is like this is my guy, but he hasn't done enough to knock everyone else into the reserve role. Yeah, it feels like a case of who wants at least. Looking back at the last thirteen games for the United States for the United States, only one goal has been scored in the last thirteen matches by our striker, and that was Ferreira in a five-one route against Panama. In World Cup qualifiers, is that, that count the Haji penalty though? Or I guess is that in play? Um, not not like set pieces or dead balls. Okay, Haji makes two then. Haji makes two. He came off the bench, but outside of that, then that's it. That's the only only ones. Only one of thirteen matches. All of our goals have been scored by our wingers, our midfielders, our defenders. Number nine is incredibly detrimental to us, and it's not like they're not getting looks for it. Now, they're not getting decent chances. Yeah, yeah, opportunities. I mean, the first one, granted, I think it was like the eighth or ninth minute or whatever it was early on in the game. Um, he had a ball slid into him to the goalkeeper's left about probably 10 yards, 15 yards away, whatever it was. And he hit it right at him. It was a tough angle. I understand it. But not knocking for that one at all. No, I'm not knocking Matt for it at all. But he took the shot that he should have taken. Top level strikers find a way to, to slide those past keeper into the corner, not right at them at the end of the day. And we need to have a top-level striker because we're creating all these chances and we like to whip balls in and play out on the wings with Pulisic and Weah and Aronson, but without having someone in the middle that's able to convert those chances. Because this, is, this isn't the first opportunity, like you mentioned, that our strikers have had a ball teed up to them that haven't gone into the back of the net. And I don't want to just harp on Ferrer and I don't want to just harp on our number nines because it's not just them. Pulisic had an opportunity a couple of matches ago. I think it was during qualifiers where he had a tap in essentially and it, it, he didn't put it in the back of the net. And it's consistently been our... Achilles heel in games that are close like this, where either the play is open or it's been extremely congested, where you have to be able to convert those those small opportunities. And that's the difference between us making a run. Exactly. Exactly. Ultimately, you have to look back at the Ferreira chance and go, that is a chance missed by the striker. Regardless of the ball, regardless of anything else, that's a chance missed by the striker. And it's, it's worrying that our biggest concern right now is our center back and our striker because that's the bedrock of which you build a World Cup run. 
definitely doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I, I do want to point out, uh, oh, we'll get, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Later. Yeah, yeah we, we have a few more. We're going to go through everyone's stocks that we thought went up and down and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the, the Uruguay game. I, I wasn't horribly disappointed with the performance. I thought we could have played better. I thought Uruguay also could have played better. Nil-nil seemed – a draw seemed like the right result. Yeah. It probably should have been like 3-3, three, three, though, realistically. <laughs> been, yeah, easily easily could have been yeah. two at the same time. Our subs in that game, I felt like, let us down a little bit. Um, Ariola specifically, like, when Wea came off – again, we'll get to it. But, like, when Wea came off, that attack dissipated for a, quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Dissipated. So – um let's let's to i don't know about what you learned exactly but this is my biggest biggest takeaway from these two games so far against world cup quality opponents the mma midfield musa mckenny adams i now know finally when to use that and when not to at least at least in my opinion i'm, I'm curious to get yours here we play england that's my midfield a high pressing team we have mckenny and musa completely controlling the midfield, being able to make those driving runs forward and hold possession for us when we need to and break those lines. Against a team, Iran, maybe Wales, I'm not sure how they're going to play this exactly yet. Low block teams, inviting pressure. We need Aronson or Reyna as a, and Musa has to sit. Musa's vision is not up to where his dribbling skill is. There is many times, you, you pointed out the, the, uh, the Yedlin ball. He wasn't looking at him. He had no idea Yedlin was even coming up that on that flank. All of a sudden, he looks and goes, holy crap, he's here. And then still goes back to the middle one more time and then plays in the ball. There's countless times in the Morocco game as well. He's not seeing the passing lanes to get the ball forward. He is a phenomenal possession, ball-controlled midfielder. If he figures out that point of his game, he's huge for the U.S. Yeah. And I'm not saying he won't get there. I don't want to knock him by any means. He's a, still a very young player. I think he's 19, maybe 20. It's just Aronson and Reyna are much better in that situation when we need that final ball played. So against when we need something more creative, running at running at a back line, for instance, or trying to get the striker open, those are my two guys playing that role, and he's behind them. We need someone to control the play, the pace of everything. Go to right there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think in, in games where you know we're going to be out possessed and and it's just going to be constant pressure. You definitely want to have that MMA midfield. My, my takeaway from that though, is I'd like to see that back into a four, three, three formation instead of the four, two, three, one. Um, if that's good, if that's going to happen, because McKenney, Musa and Adams played in that Uruguay game. And let's not sugarcoat it. Uruguay uh, ranked number 13 uh, in the FIFA rankings is probably the best team we've played in a very long time. And it was extremely, it was extremely open. And I don't want to say we weren't like out possessed per se, um, but the chances, to your point, were, were very there for Uruguay. There's no reason they shouldn't have had a couple of goals, especially at the end with the Cavani miss. And I think having McKenney slotted out on that right-hand wing in that 4-2-3-1 was detrimental to, I think, what he does best for us, which is link that, that midfield holding players like Adams and Musa up to the attack and still be able to join in. So when that happens, I want to see him more centrally um, to drop back and, and make those connections because it allows Adams and Musa to drift onto the wings where when you play these top tier teams, like if we were playing a France team and you're going to have someone like Mbappe, you're going to need that extra overlap player to come, to come contain that because one guy's not going to be able to do it by himself. I mean, the best players in the world can, you got to double team that up and it opens up some space in the midfield. Pulisic likes to come back at times, but he's not that guy to come back and make those defensive defensive tackles. He's not physical like McKenney. So yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We need those three guys 
in the heart of the midfield in those bigger games. And when you need to break down, yeah, then play the game like you did against Morocco where you have Aronson on the left-hand side overlapping with Pulisic. Hopefully, praise God, Reyna is healthy and he's available for the World Cup. Yeah, bring him in to help help dribble through that defense and break the press a little bit and open up some passing lanes. Because you're right, Musa spends just him, him and McKenny. Yeah, him, him, well, that, but then also him and McKenny play similarly in that they, they, they drop very deep to try to collect the ball. And there's not much pressure in the middle of the field yeah. when other teams are attacking. Whereas if Aaron's in sitting, he's basically sitting right in that, that central area. Yes. Yes, I, I completely agree. I think the midfield has to be interchangeable depending on the opponent because it's it's clearly our strongest, our, our biggest strength to this team and the depth that we have. I mean, Luca Del Torre can come in for that. You know, like you said, a Gio can come and he can slot on the right too. But finding the right, I think that's awesome. Though, like, team is it? Our biggest thing was like, how do we squeeze all these guys in here? It's like I think we know now. Yeah, and I, 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 we know what which guy is going to be used for which opponent, and it's not a knock on any of the guys. It's just like we're using you specifically to this game plan because that's how we know how to utilize or to work our system better. Yeah, and it's good because it fits for everybody. It's not. It's. It's not, it's not, not disrespectful to anybody either. Like no one's going to be like, but hurt about like, why am I not starting this game? It's like, no, like you're, you're going to be better in this situation. We're playing against this team instead. Yeah. That's it. Like when we're playing Iran, I expect to see, you know, the, see the team we put against Morocco when we play teams like England yep. in the World Cup. I expect to see a similar, a similar lineup to this team. Obviously we'd have a different back line. Probably there was a couple changes, you know, the Edlands in Scaly, Scaly's in, but overall the midfield three, at least, yeah, I expect to see them there. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. I, I think that's perfect. We never have really even had that kind of depth to play around with the lineup. It was basically like we yeah. need to throw our best eleven out there. We have no chance. Yep, basically. Now, now it's terrible. terribly it's true. So, um, let's talk about some guys' stocks that went up and down in this one. This window, first one up, Scally, probably one of the more notable notable ones. Yeah, I, you know we've been asking for him to get a to get a look in, but I think that quickly had dissipated during this game. I mean, I think he finished one of the worst performers on the night for the U.S. against Uruguay. Um, just kind of looked a little bit out of his depth. I don't know. If you th- I don't know if he's really ready for this stage yet. I mean, eighty percent passing. Yeah, he he had a dribble or some or so, but really really lacked the influence that we like to see from our fullbacks, given what we're used to seeing in in Dest and uh, Jedi you know, streaking forward and, and opening up some space for some of our wingers. So definitely keep your eye on him. I'm not saying it's, it's bad, but I think his most detrimental stat, if you want to go look at metrics, is ground duels. He only won three of 10 that night um, against Uruguay. And that's it's like he got beat quite a bit too for pace as well, which yeah. I don't expect from expect from either young guy like that. Yeah. Um, I Listen, I think it's there for him. I think he will be a United States men's national team player for the next – 10 plus years. I think he's just early right now, but I thought these were also great games to get him involved in and really test his ability. Yes. Like this, like these were, what's up? He's only 19, you know, he's got a lot, but yeah. These are perfect learning experiences for the guy. It's a friendly match against the World Cup opponent. Just see what you got. And it was uh, like, I'm not upset about it. Like, yes, would I like to see him perform better? Absolutely. But am I upset by the outcome? Not really. Like you could tell he, he, just not there yet, but like he's he's like on that fringe, yeah. And like these are the type of games you need as players to get better and get to that point. Yeah, I mean we had hoped to right. see this. We were talking about it, saying we'd hope Greg would give some of these guys who've been tearing it up domestically a chance to get a look in and, and see how they they meld with the team. So I'm at least I'm happy that we're getting to see that. But I agree with you. It's just not it's not quite there. Hopefully that changes by the time December comes for him because I think he's a great second choice 
um, back up over there. But if, if you, if, I mean, it's hard to predict six months in the future, obviously based off form and stuff, but if the lineup was picked right now, is it Bellow or him as the backup to Jetty? Bellow. Well, I'm, I think I'm the same with you on that one too. Yeah, I don't. Um, not by much because I like I like Scotty's flexibility playing on the left and right. I think that's huge, especially yeah. when it comes to tournament time. You need guys that are flexible like that because otherwise, injuries hit or whatever the case is. Screwed. Suspensions. <laughs> that's huge. Um, we kind of already talked about him a little bit. Jesus Ferrara, definitely a decline in stock for me. Missed opportunities. Felt coming to this camp, it felt like he had a stronghold on a number nine. Like it was his position to lose, almost like it was Pepe's during World Cup qualifying. I think Ferrara lost that. Yeah. Yes, no, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I I still think Greg's going to end up bringing him to the World Cup. To be completely honest with you, I think he likes him. That's why he's getting so many looks in, and he's a different type of striker than what P. Folk and 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 uh, Haji um, and Sargent are. But if you're if you're making the lineup tonight, I don't think you would include him from a th- from from our perspective at least. He'd be my third choice, if anything. Yes, agreed. Probably agreed. I'd probably have I'd, I'd probably have Haji P. Folk and then him. That's exactly. Um, I think right. Pepe. I think Pepe misses out. Um, DK just been hurt, so yep. it's, it's it's too hard to judge him. Uh, Sergeant has been in for a while. Didn't have the greatest club season as well. Although I think <laughs> inter- interesting scenario here. He goes back to the championship. He stays with Norwich. Kills it at that level. What happens come that time? I think Greg ultimately is going to go with who's informed. I'm very, I'm really curious because he keeps saying that informed, informed. That's always been his excuse or yeah. like figure out your club situation. Although he kind of goes against that sometimes too when making those same decisions. Yeah. But, um, it'll be it, that'll be a good one to watch because if he goes back to that championship level like and just starts murdering it, we shall see. Uh, Sean Johnson, interesting one here. Um, I guess on the rise in a sense that. Greg wanted him to get a look at. Played pretty well in the Uruguay game. Hasn't made a bunch of appearances for the United States, but again, if it comes down to that playing time, yeah, no, definitely. I, I started for New York City. I definitely just I included him because he had just a, a great game. I mean, he was man of the match for that Uruguay game. Granted, that was with a seven six rating, I believe it was, but um, still the best. Yeah, it, given the, the question marks over the goalkeeper position and playing time and everything else, I. I I think he's definitely considered – made an impression on Berhalter. I think it was only his 10th appearance in 11 years for the national team. It's 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 not up there. It's it's yeah. probably around that number, yeah. Um, I still – listen, I, I'm still not including my World Cup squad. And like I said before, I think if it was me, I'd take Selena over over Horvath. It's not rare you're going to – it's very rare you're probably using your third your third string keeper in a World Cup. And if this guy is the future, as good as you say, get him in the camp. Let him experience World Cup this way. God forbid, in four years now he is our starting keeper. Maybe a little less nervous, or you know, something to watch out for. There's a reason Byron and Rao are both looking at him. Let's uh, let's figure that out. I was actually were you were you surprised? Me and I met Mike kind of talked about this last uh, podcast a little bit. Were you shocked after the Stefan withdrawal he wasn't actually included, especially just declaring for the United States over Poland? I thought that was a gimme for Greg. I was a little bit shocked. I would, I'll be more shocked if he doesn't get a look in prior to the World Cup because we have a couple friendlies and a couple, of, uh, you know, Conor Caffrey. He's supposed to be more on the cards as well. Yeah. So I think he might get a look, but I'm not overly shocked because I don't think Greg was looking at him at all because I think the whole him 
you know, becoming a United States national player was a shock for everyone to begin with. So I'm curious if Greg just was like, I don't know enough about this guy right now. I need to watch him and learn more about him before I start including him in a team that I need to start making final selections on and, and getting that type of information. That's fair. I mean, my only thing was like, Tillman got called in right away. Like, I think he was a, a USA citizen or USA uh, national on Tuesday and he was playing on Wednesday. So to me, it was like this guy just signed for his huge signing for the U.S. Great recruiting by Greg. He did the same thing with Solina. I, I, it just felt like it was like, oh, it's a perfect opportunity. That, that was my only opinion on it. Yeah, I thought it was a good opportunity. I, I think it was a little too soon. I think Greg already knew what he wanted to do for these games. These are the first real big tune-up matches, you know. Um, but I think, I think I'll get a call up. I think I'll get a look at least once. He should. I think so at least too. Um, Brendan Aronson, definitely on the rise. Uh, with Reyna out, he looks like he's the locked-in midfielder going forward. We kind of already talked about that. Um, I'm extremely excited to what he does for the national team, but also for Leeds United, too, with Jesse Marsh. I think if he plays him in that, like, number 10 role or number 80 even somewhere, like, attacking number 8. Yeah, man. He yeah. looks the part. He looks, he looks the part. I think he's going to have success. I don't want to jinx it, obviously, because I'm known for that. But I, I think he, um, I mean, he's going to thrive in Leeds. I think it's the type of system that fits him pretty well. I think so. I think it's such a perfect move. transfer. What's up? Such a perfect transfer, in my opinion. Perfect, perfect transfer. I, I don't think it's too soon. If it was, if it was a year ago, I think it would have been too soon. But I think he's got the experience yes. now. I think he's got his feet underneath him. He's proven what he can do consistently, and I think he's going to a club and a manager who understands him that he's going to fit right into. Yeah, no, I'm I'm 100 with you on that. Um, and the last guy I really want to cover, uh, Waya. What do you think about him? Way is hot and cold to me. I, I know he's scoring goals here and there. and He's looked good at times. But for me, Waya is – and I, I'm curious what you think about this. I feel like he's a lot like Christian Pulisic in the sense that he shows up certain days and he doesn't others. You, you don't know what type of way you're going to get for him on any given day. He might show up and score a goal and just throw people to the wind and put a 9.0 on the board right for match rating. But there's also days where I watch him, like, you look slow and sluggish, and you look like you just slowed the play down to take on a single player in defense. When if you push a tempo, we could have opened something up. I agree with that to a point. The point I don't agree with it is when it comes to the national team. That motherfucker yeah. turns it on when a USA jersey. This happens every window with him. It's the weirdest thing. A week before, scores a goal or two for Lille. Didn't do anything probably the previous three games. Comes to the United States. Was amazing. Goes back to Lille. Don't hear from him for a while. Next window's coming up. Kills it. United States call up. Does it? It's it's you so think strange. A yeah, some quality of competition the United States plays though. What's up? You think that's a, a byproduct of some of the quality of competition the United States plays compared to what's available only one? I think it has to factor into an extent. Yes and no, because there's a much bigger difference playing CONCACAF and playing over in Europe. And a lot of the guys will tell you, a lot of the United States guys will tell you that. Like sometimes they much rather play like, like in England or France than playing someone like El Salvador and like the worst pitching of like all of mankind <laughs> um, and like environment. So it's two completely different game types, obviously different systems, although he relatively plays on the wing for, for Lille as well. But for me, he's on the rise. And when he puts on the USA jersey, we saw the difference in quality and attack when him and Ariola came on. We kind of mentioned that before. And it was, ridiculously noticeable like yeah. down the down the wing side i listen i already got banned once from united states by national twitter account um, <laughs> talking shit about areola so i'm not gonna go too far into this guy for me ever listen to this podcast um he's not on my he's not on my world cup squad i'm sorry his technical ability is not there i think he's a great player if we have a one nil lead or two one lead 
throw him on there, he'll run everyone off the pitch. But guess what? You can throw a lot of subs on the 70th minute, and they're going to give 20 full minutes of effort at the same time, who are yeah. going to be more technical. So just my take on that one. Um, I have Wea locked in as our right wing, no matter Reina, if he's there or not. I think that's a, definitely arguable by a lot of people's standards. But this guy looks really good and fits our system, and he was just as good as Pulisic on the other wing, if not better, this past these past two games. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I mean, the way things stand, I'd almost rather Reina come in and play a false nine striker at this point in time because <laughs> he, you, you guys, you guys shit on me for mentioning that a while back too, by the way. Just, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. You guys absolutely shit on me. I never said a word how you well what you're talking about. I also I also brought I also brought up Haji a while back before he before he was actually coming you, you guys were like, no fucking shot. I was like, I don't know about that. So I'm just gonna say, <laughs> I have a weird knack of being right for these like a good couple months out. All right. Just saying. Well, start predicting a Start predicting us to win the World Cup a couple months from now. <laughs> nah, 2026 when it comes home. 2026. We'll, we'll, we'll show England how it really comes home, baby. Um, I he, He's locked up for me. I'd rather see Reyna in his more natural position playing in the middle of the field, um, kind of where Moose is, but just going more forward. I think that's yeah. I think that would benefit everybody. I have him behind the striker. I If, if given the chance, we'll talk about the, the upcoming games against Granada and um, El Salvador. If given the chance a full 90 minutes or even like a full 60 or 75 because he wants to sell on Ferrari afterwards. We know, we know who Greg is. If Haji has those chances, I truly think he takes a hold of the striker position heading into the world cup. Again, purely speculative, purely my opinion. It's just based off the couple minutes we've seen him link up with everybody else so far. No, no, I don't. So if you have him, my prefer, so if I, if I was, if this was my starting lineup coming into the like world cup, I'm assuming the Brooks exile is still in effect and we'll go from there. Right, I'm taking Pulisic on my left wing. I'm taking Haji as my striker, way out my right. Um, preferably four two three one. Again, we're gonna play four three three, so we'll go with this. Adam center D, McKenny left center, and then Reina right center. Desk in the back, Jetty in the back. Uh, obviously Zimmerman with the way he's playing. If Richards is healthy, he's my guy. If not, I prefer Vickers or Palmer Brown. And then my goalie, it's a fucking toss up, man. But I'll take Stefan with his feet. Yeah. So uh, that's my preferred. I think that it's a way to squeeze all the guys on in their more natural positions anyway. I don't, not saying Reyna's not bad on the wing, but if you're giving me Weya or Reyna, wait, I don't even know who I just said. I don't, right, Reyna is not as good on the wing as he is in the middle of the field. So I would say I would prefer him there. Turn defenders, so. run up the defense, agreed. Um, the upcoming games we do have, just we'll kind of throw those out there real quick. We got Granada. Um, that's going to be on Friday. For me, this game, throw all the fringe guys on there. Like yep. this is where they should start. Yep. Right. I just mentioned Haji. Zimmerman should sit. Throw on Palmer Brown and Cameron Carter. Give them a full 90 together and see what happens. We shouldn't lose this game. Like we have way too much talent. I'm sorry. Like shouldn't 170th lose this game. 170th ranked team in Granada. Yeah. Let's just go. Let's just give those guys a chance. Our our guys, they they should handle that regardless. Not Even handle it against Granada, forget looking at them anymore at that point. Exact a hundred percent exactly. Yeah. Like that's that's it. Then then it's over. Like sorry. Agreed. Here's your chance. Um, you can start someone like Pulisic if you want to grab a lead early, but then I want to see Malik at halftime. Yeah, give like, him a break. Him healthy. What's up? Give him a break. Keep him healthy. I wouldn't even think about Pulisic, McKenny, or Adams in this match. I'm just, I'm just saying, throwing out there. If he would just want, if Greg wants to get an early lead, that's fine. But like Haji to start, the other two center backs should start. If he wants to throw a scally out there, get some confidence. I'm cool with that too. Tillman, if you don't want to play him the full, full ninety, throw him in there at half. But those guys should all see time. Yeah. Um. Also wants to see Horvath back in net, Agreed. especially given this not in Forest news. I think he deserves to start this game. Yep. 
Give him a look and see um, what we can do. El Salvador, uh, what's your take on that? I'm thinking just in more of a usual starting lineup for this kind of game. Yeah, I think you'll get more of a lineup that we saw against Uruguay. A couple, a couple guaranteed starters, a couple mixes with Scally coming in, and uh, um, I forget who started the right way. Uh, was it was it Reggie Cannon? Cannon? No, Yedlin started against Uruguay, um, but probably Reggie yeah, Cannon yeah. will come back in. Um, yeah, maybe Stefan gets a look in, but I think you're going to see a 50-50 split for that match on on mix of starters. Probably Tory around the back line again to really get that under control because that's kind of the biggest question marks outside the striker position at this point. I'm um, going go from there. Agreed, agreed. Um, heading over just to kind of some Premier League news. Obviously, this is a Premier League podcast as well as United States, but it's kind of swapped around right now with the international break going on. Um, cover some big transfer news going. We got Rudiger to Real. That's finally official. I think it happened like directly after we posted the podcast last week. So just throwing that one out there. Um, targets Newcastle have a pretty successful loan spell there. It's their first summer signing of probably 15 or 20 to come. Um, Ramis Christensen is, went to Leeds. He's actually follow, following Brennan Aronson uh, from Red Bull Salzburg. Beat out Brentford on that signing. I think it's an excellent one for them. It shores up their back line a little bit, especially at the right back position where they had a lot of question marks and basically playing like a, a midfielder, center defensive mid over at right back in Shackleton most of the season. Um, the biggest one I think we should talk about though. Cavani, Mata, Pogba, Lingard, all leaving United. It seems like they're pretty much going to be revamping the squad, having a max exodus of players. What do you, what's your... Smart. Well, smart. definitely smart. Moving a lot what's your prediction for them coming now? I, by all the defensive reports that I'm seeing, I'm reading about coming out of there, it looks like Ten Hag is going to be given about five transfers to bring in. So it's not surprising that they're going to move these wages off the books, especially because I can't imagine he's going to specifically go out and get... 23 year olds you know what i mean this is manchester united we're talking about they want a little bit of star power and freeing up those wages is going to be critical to do so i think you're going to have to replace ronaldo staying too so yeah ronaldo staying. Have your bill. You're, going to have to, <laughs> you're going to have to bring in a striker you're going to have to because ronaldo does his best work at this point in time working off another number nine freeing up a little bit of space for him um you're obviously going to need to start integrating sancho back into that team a little bit more frequently and getting some movement there but you probably need you probably need a center back a, uh, a right back because Wamba Saka is going to leave. We're going to be looking for loans to him for him to get him out of the team. So you're probably looking for a signing just about in every position on the field at this point. So I think you're going to have a kind of a smorgasbord and kind of a free for all. We'll see if it clicks. It has worked in the past, like what Chelsea did when they won the Champions League. They went out and made all these signings, but we also seen it fail colossally in the in the past as well. So. I think it just depends on whether or not United backs Ten Hag to go after the players he wants to fit his system, uh, whether or not it's going to be successful. I feel you on that one. Um, obviously, a big one that's been thrown out there here. He said he's not coming over, but Frankie Dijon from yeah. um, Barca, Barca, Barca. Barca. <laughs> yeah, Barca would be night, ridiculous to let him leave without like an incredible amount of money coming in for him, but. Um, it's more of the wage for them, though. They got a cut, apparently. I mean, I think Busquets came out and, and uh, already denied it, but Barcelona was apparently asking them to take another wage cut. So, and then he, I forget how much Frankie makes, but it's, it's a crap ton over there. Yeah, he's probably making 300. It was the hottest talent in the be. world at, at two years ago when he signed, you know, him and the lick coming out of Ajax. I don't they all stay one more year, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see. I don't see him leaving Barcelona. I don't, unless Barcelona forces. He doesn't want to. The wages. Yeah. Um, and even so, I would expect to see him somewhere else other than Manchester United. I know he has that relationship with Ten Hag, but I just don't know if that's a good fit for him at this point in time. He's like 26 years old, right? So 
I don't even think they're boys, are they? I, I thought I thought uh, Frankie wasn't even like that big a fan of him. I could be wrong. Uh, I, they, I, they've, they've had they had success, success together, so I mean you can't explicitly write that out, but you never know. Very possible. What do you think they should do though? In their opinion, obviously striker's a, a, a big one, but what else? I think if you're United, you need to look at a striker, a right back, a center back. I think to match or find a left back, but yeah, but you need it. You need another central midfielder, maybe a central defensive midfielder, because Fred's not that sit that that holding midfielder like a Musa or an Adams type of player, right? Um, he, he likes to move forward like McKenny. So I think you really need to just shore up your back line and your the core of your midfield. I think you have enough attacking talent still with Rashford. Uh, if you get a striker, Ronaldo, Sancho, that you you're, you'll be able to last. You know what I mean? Um, Is Rashford even staying? I thought he was on the fringe of leaving too. They slapped a 70 million pound price tag on him uh, to kind of deter suitors. No one's paying that. No, I don't think anyone's going to pay for it. I think if it's two years ago, you're paying for it, but not now, um, especially with his contract running down. I think it's running down at least. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think you need wingers. I think you need a striker, two midfielders, two defenders. And, and that's your main priority. I know that's easier said than done because that's five high quality signings they need. Um, but I mean, McGuire's got to go. You got to figure out how, what to do with him. No one's going to take him, given him his wage, given the wages, and I don't think they're going to let him go. But for the all, wage bro. and the the how much they paid for him, he ain't going to get half that back and right now. The, yeah, even at that point, you're probably looking at two center backs because that's all under the assumption that Veron's able to stay healthy this year, which is not guaranteed, obviously. Also, very true at the same time. You probably need four signings just in your back line if you're United. <laughs> honestly, it's about to be Chelsea too. They might need five or six. Everyone's leaving. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> that'll do it for this episode of the sunday league screamers podcast like comment hit the bell subscribe to us on youtube itunes spotify and wherever else you find your podcast also give us a follow on twitter at the sl screamers underscore pod for daily tweets about the show the world football united states men national team and the premier league i'm your host steve with Vito signing off <laughs>